when you see the behavior that you want, uh, if you praise it and make a big deal out of it, uh, as simple as some things may be, you'll, you'll see that kid's confidence skyrocket. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by the head boys basketball coach of Anka High School in North Carolina, Brian Carver. Coach Carver is the all-time winningest coach in school history with 258 wins. He has 31 years of coaching experience and is a member of the North Carolina Basketball Association Executive Board. He's also the host of the Elevation Basketball Podcast. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. How are you, my friend? Oh, well, I just got back from Chapel Hill, Chapel Thrill, since we're in the Final Four. Wow. We had a uh, Basketball Coaches Association board meeting all day yesterday, so uh, get back, and now it's about 24 hours of playing catch-up. Nice. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, that's awesome, though. Very cool. It was, it's a fun time to be around a bunch of other coaches. Tell me what you think about this. I had, I had a kind of a mind shift uh, three or four years ago. One was I had one – I had one exceptional player, like a mm -hmm. very high level. He's actually, uh, he walked on to SMU and then mm -hmm. halfway through this season, this past season, earned a scholarship. So, and, and without, I mean, if, if there weren't thousand, a thousand people in the portal and every team full right now, he would have been a scholarship player coming out of high school anyway. But that's just mm -hmm. the, that's kind of where Literally. a lot of these kids are right now. Exactly. But uh, because I had him and he was playing such high level select ball, I, I took the approach of, and, and, and still today, uh, after our last game, I tell my guys, faith basketball is done. Like, mm -hmm. we're over. Because I, I've, I've fallen into the trap of, hey, first day of spring, you know, whenever that is, we're, we're getting prepared for next season. Mm -hmm. we're, and we start talking about faith basketball again. So it's almost like they're, they're year-round with us. But here, here's the thing. Select ball we don't want them to work with our guys in season mm -hmm. right like right. we hey give up give us our time stay yep. away but then when it's spring and summer that's you but then all of a sudden they're in this spring summer season with another mm -hmm. team another coach and yet we're still telling them hey but it's faith basketball time and, yes. and we're still working so i've taken the approach of our spring and summer is a supplement to their select seasons which means we're not going to do spring or summer league we're not mm -hmm. going to uh i'm not i'm not going to do anything after school everything if we it's going to be open weight room before mm -hmm. everything during our athletic period is going to be geared towards the fact that you probably just had a tournament with eight games yes. and so on the monday you come back i'm not going to kill you we're not going to work on defense mm -hmm. at all because our defense is eight months away for faith mm -hmm. basketball Absolutely. my goal is to get you to be as healthy and as strong and as skilled as possible during this time. That's been the approach. And I feel sometimes some push and pull or, or that coaches may have another uh, view of it because of maybe tradition. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, what if, what about rebounds and, and, and deep blocking out in defense? Yeah. Not now, but no, that's just my feeling. hundred percent agree. I, I kind of take it from with my players all the time. I talk to them a lot about, you know, November to, to January, February, if we're fortunate enough to play in March, uh, you know, we're going to be about our team. Uh, but when we hit 
April, April to basically October, that's your time uh, to develop and to get yourself prepared for you. And if, you know, if, if, if you're, we're fortunate enough to have players that are good enough to play at the next level in college, uh, you know, they've got, they've got to showcase that and get on that. And then my job is to supplement that. Uh, and if I want the, the, uh, you know, the AAU travel world to, to respect my world and leave right. me, let me, then I've got to do the same to them. And, and, you know, I can't get mad at a kid if he says, coach, I can't be at your workout tonight. Cause I've got AAU practice. I know coaches that are like that. I know yeah. plenty of some of my friends are like that. And I'm kind of like, no, go play your AAU. Cause you got a big tournament this weekend. Go, go do whatever you got to do. We're going to, I'm just getting here knocking some shots up for kids that don't have a, don't have that opportunity. So um, our big push is, I think you hit the nail on the head. Our big push has always been get you in the weight room, uh, put you in some small group work uh, and do work on some skill development things. Uh, I don't know how it is in, in your state, but in, in North Carolina, we get to do some things in the summertime that are kind of team oriented. Like there's no rules uh, per se in terms of uh, how many kids I can have. I, I just can't tell a kid he can't come. Right. So uh, we do the team camp circuit, if you will. But I try to take about two weeks of that. Uh, and during that two weeks, uh, I try to just use that more of an evaluate. Like we didn't, I love what you said here about the defense. In those two weeks last summer, and we just won 25 games and went to the fourth round of the state playoffs. I'm telling you, we did not play a single possession of defense in any one of those practices, not one. Now, we would go play in games, and obviously, and I'm talking to them about rotations and where they got to be and things of that nature, but we spent that time as a team bonding, uh, kind of figuring some things out chemistry-wise, who fits better, where, uh, and then, you know, I'm spitballing some stuff, throwing it against the wall in those two weeks in ball games, doing some stuff I know I probably wouldn't do during the season just to see what it looked like, uh, experimenting with some rotational things uh, uh, and things and how kids would adjust to that. And it was all kind of going into a file. Uh, yeah. And then once November had, I had some experience come back. So well, you remember back in the summer when we tried this, it didn't work. Here's why, you know, and, that, and then we spent more time obviously working on our defense once the season started. But yeah, you can't grind away on defensive stuff right now because they don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I think you and I could probably have a hour long talk about uh, Mark Hart. He he runs System Basketball. Yes. He put mm -hmm. out a message the other day about um, an article about do, uh, defense wins championships? Question mm -hmm. mark. And I I don't know how many people listen to you know this podcast, but I'm probably going to lose half of them right here. <laughs> the whole point is is if you look at the the top 20 offensive teams in efficiency in college mm -hmm. basketball, the majority of them not only made the tournament, but they're the ones that are still playing like in the sweet 16, mm -hmm. the, the top 20 defensive efficient teams in the, in that rating, only two or three of them were in that top, in that sweet 16, you know, like mm -hmm. Houston was one of those few teams that, was better defensively in in, mm -hmm. in rating than they were offensively. But I, I just, the whole idea of defense wins championships or that we need to be working on that all year long. Mm -hmm. I just think the offensive side no, uh, I agree. Is, is harder. You have to spend a little bit more time acquiring those skills. And there's this whole idea of fun that's <laughs> out there, which I don't yes. think we can forget. Well, I, to me, and I think this is uh I don't know. There's no formula or recipe, but a lot of a lot of defensive stuff just comes down to who's tougher, uh, you know, and mentality and, and less technique. Obviously, that's important. I'm not going to try to say it's not, 
but if you can get your kids to believe and play a certain uh, toughness and a mindset about defense, you're, there's no real skill involved in that. It's, you yeah. know, obviously there's some, like I said, rotational things that you need to be aware of. And philosophically, you need to kind of be in line with what you want them to do. Uh, but uh, really, it's it's more about a mindset and how hard you can get your kids to play. Yeah, Declan Kelvin's got that one figured out. Yeah, that's true. And we can't. I'm not. We can't get it twisted. Uh, it, it can't be 100. percent I'm talking in season. 100 percent right. focus on offense and none on defense. Correct. You're not giving effort, and you're not. If your goal isn't to get stops on the defensive end, you probably won't win many games. You'll Correct. only be able to outscore lesser opponents. But uh, when you're eight months away. What should we be focusing on with our time, especially since players really, especially those players that do have aspirations to play after high school, they have mm-hmm. they have two seasons now. They have their school season and their select season. And yep. I just think sometimes I'm guilty of those things bleeding together and where it's really, golly, are we in season all year long? No. <laughs> and And this is a time where a lot of coaches are evaluating what they mm-hmm. did during the season, trying to go out and find new things that they want to add to their tool belt, that they yeah. want to incorporate with their team. What are some opportunities for learning and growth that you've uh, found recently? Dude, I'm just going to be honest with you. And I, I know from a financial standpoint, uh, this probably scares a lot of high school coaches off. And and I'm, uh, I tweeted it out the other day about it. Uh, but a, um, a college friend of mine, college buddy of mine, actually, he and I went back and forth about, uh, some stuff that we ran offensively and where I learned it from. And I said, well, we've always done it that way. But what I found was the missing link that helped me connect our layers in our offense. And we run a hybrid version of the Princeton, always have on some level. But I was, in years past, it was always, we ran this layer, and that was all we ran. Uh, or we ran it. And this year, I was able to connect the layers because of you know something that I learned. Well, where did I learn that? twofold and I think that's that goes back to answering your question one I spend a lot of time with people who are in the know who who run similar systems and I would call them up and have a conversation Uh, not to over promote anything I do a podcast on some small level you can promote it yeah Uh, and uh, you know that's the elevation basketball podcast and in doing some research for that uh, I would have conversations with coaches college coaches high school coaches uh, and kind of file away some of the stuff and then I strategically made a list of you know six or eight people that I wanted to talk to via Zoom or phone or in person, uh, and I would try to sit down with them, and I and I would have a, a specific set of questions that I wanted to ask them, and then I would just kind of let them talk. Tell, tell me about your stuff, and just try to pick up on what they were doing. Uh, and then the most important discovery for me, which is part two to answering your question, uh, man, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have a uh, former player of mine who's who played at the collegiate level. He decided to step away uh, from basketball and just go be a student, which I can respect that, you know, and that's that's his, his decision, and I'm, I'm with him on that 100%. But while he was playing, he was home one day on a break or something, and, and he was trying to talk to me about a set they ran because their offense, they had some Princeton, Princeton elements in their offense as well. Uh, and he pulled up on Synergy, uh, his Synergy account, and he was showing me some stuff they did and how it broke it down. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. my. Yeah. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, dude, so I just kept using his Synergy login. Uh, and all summer long, all off season long, I used that Synergy to uh, study different uh, coaches, different styles, different teams. Uh, and 
I got almost addicted to it. I mean, like yeah. I was, I was trying to set a goal that I would watch no more than an hour a day. Cause I was someday, there were some days when I was watching two and three hours of film on, on, on a, sometimes a full game. Uh, and there were a lot of times where I would uh, click on a game and then I, and, and in synergy, you can do this, click on the offensive possessions. Uh, and then sometimes I would go, I just want to see their transition possessions. How do they get into their transition? So I just click on the transition and there's all, you know, 1700 transition possessions they had the whole season and you're just boom. And I, it just, you know, one thing led to another and I'm just, Oh, I, I saw that team running this. And then, so I think synergy became a godsend for me and, and my studying uh, and my, my ability to learn and, and, and put concepts together. Uh, and it was just really great. And I, I would say I undervalued, I don't want to say devalued, that's, I, but I undervalued the importance of film study. Yeah, uh, I'm not 100% sure that I knew how to do it the right way, and I still don't know that I'm on the right path. I mean, I'm on the right path, but I don't know if I've – I'm not on – I'm not at enlightenment yet. <laughs> I don't know where that is. Uh, I don't uh, know if there's a right or a wrong way to do that. I think mm -hmm. I think one, one danger uh, that I run into sometimes is – so we definitely uh, want to look at what we did last year mm -hmm. and keep some of those things that work really well, maybe discard some things that we just never – you know, here's an action we just never scored off of. I never felt like my guys were comfortable or I never even went to it. No. Uh, we, we take those away. And then when you start to accumulate all of this new knowledge, these mm -hmm. new plays and actions, you also have to be careful. Like you can't do everything because Correct. there's so many times I'll watch a video and I'll be like, that, that looks really good. Then I have to ask those questions. Will that work with my personnel? Do we have the time? Do the mm -hmm. players have the bandwidth? to yeah. incorporate something like that. So I think, uh, you know, like United Basketball Plus, I just had the chance to talk to mm -hmm. Matt Smith um, mm -hmm. with he them. Great job. He's going to have like 600 videos out there. When I hear that number, I'm like, oh, how can I go through all of them? But you just got to be careful. <laughs> exactly. You just got to be yeah. careful. It's and like a buffet, you know. I, want, I right. want a little bit of all of it, you know. Yeah. You so, can't do uh, yeah. you can't do everything. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a subscriber to actually want to be really basic and try to be really good with the basic things that we do but there is so I much tried great to take information that, out there what you said there to some advice to my own self was that while i'm spending all that time um studying and watching film because i got addicted to it i try not to shove it down my assistant's throats because they they have lives and families yeah. and, and things they want to do too uh, but what i would do is i would clip things i would show them i'd video with my cell phone hey look at this and and i would just send them nuggets here and there and occasionally not a ton not as much as people might think i would find something that like in our workouts that we were talking about in our three-man workouts four-man workouts three-man actions and our ball screen actions where i would see somebody do it in a game situation and i would just clip that and send it to our kids but i tried not to overwhelm our kids with that stuff i had somebody call me after uh, our third round playoff game and they were like really i really like what you do on offense uh you guys do some really good stuff he said how do your kids know to do all that stuff and i said well first and foremost it, they didn't do it all at once. The The last element that you see now that you are asking about, we literally put – it's been in on some level. We just released them to go do it yeah. about two weeks ago, and it yeah. transformed everything. It made all the other stuff look great, but you're, you're right. You just, you know, sensory overload is too much. Uh, so we it, we learned one part of it, and that's all we worked on. And we didn't even talk like there was anything else. And then once they got to where that was comfortable and almost boring, then yeah. we would kind of sprinkle in another layer and then and, and so forth. 
So it was probably a, a year and a half process with this group, getting them to run all the different things and the elements of the offense that we wanted them to run. We didn't just didn't shove it to them all at once, even though I was studying it that way. Yeah, I, I think we got to remember to be teachers uh, as coaches. If uh, mm-hmm. Tommy Brackle is a, a guy in this in in my area DFW that uh, coaches at North Crowley. I mean, that's just like twenty. 25 years 24 years winning district like at this school like kid that he's at it's just incredible uh, but but he made a great comment about how uh, in in education you know they're constantly trying to learn and get better about ways to teach the information that are that their students will really grasp we got to do that as coaches uh not just throw so much out of layer things play small sided games yes. learn these concepts and then be able to stack on top of each other i think there's times where when i'm the most frustrated as a coach is when i realize i haven't taught something very well yeah exactly and i i know i think this is probably one of the things i think you were going to ask me later on maybe in this but uh you know when i was a younger coach I looked at our practice plans and it was like, there's 30 minutes of offense. There's 30 minutes of defense. There's 30 minutes to inbounds plays. Well, I think the more you can get creative and blend those with, sp- with small-sided games, uh, you can kill two birds with one stone. And the decision-making process, the learning curve is so much faster uh, and, and permanent, really. It, yeah. it sticks. Uh, so we spent a lot more time uh, in that re- that realm, you know, where it – Yes, there's the the emphasis of this drill may be more defense, but is there's an offense and a defense to all of it. Twenty five wins, the best season that your school's ever had. That doesn't happen by accident, you know. Or rarely are teams or programs successful, uh, and they don't know why. So, mm-hmm. what are the, some of the standards or pillars of your program? Um, I've never been a rules guy. I'm. I'm I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to back up a step. I'm not even really that big of a Duke fan. I respect Coach K and what he's done, uh, no question about it. But I'm a Carolina guy, hard and fast, <laughs> tried and true. But with that being said, uh, you know, Coach K was one of the first coaches I remember when I was formative years coaching and was talking about, you know, we don't have rules. Uh, we have standards that we live by, and we let those standards dictate and govern everything that we do. Uh, and that's more us. Uh, and when I say them, some people say, well, that's a rule. It's not a rule. It's a standard. It's a, it's a, it's a style that we're going to live up to. Uh, it's not necessarily a rule. And I, and I took away any of the, you know, consequential things like, you know, uh, if you do this, you do that. If you do this, you do that. And, you know, if you miss a practice, you got a hundred miles. And if you, I, I don't, we don't do any of that stuff. Uh, we have standards and our standards uh, are our pillars. And that's what we live by. We call it our honor code. Uh, and uh, when you commit an honor code violation, uh, we have an honor code committee made up of the coaching staff and a player from every grade level. Oh, wow. uh, and um, we all sit down in a room and we discuss the honor code violation. We bring the player in, let them have a chance to kind of explain their side of it. And then together, collectively as a group, when there is an honor code violation, uh, we handle that and, and bail out punishment that's a that's fitting and according. We don't have a, a rule sheet that we go down. Well, he did this, so he's automatically going over here to that. There's too many times we find ourselves in those where we have to we have to enforce rules that we know that we can't or don't want to. Yeah. Uh, so we have these standards that we live up to. And uh, the first one and foremost that we go by is we communicate. Thou shalt communicate. Yeah. Uh, and that takes a lot of forms. And I, and the biggest thing lesson that I kind of had to learn is that's a two way street. 
communication isn't just the players communicating to me. It's me communicating to the players, communicating to our parents, communicating to our administration, what's going on and where we're at. Uh, so that's, that's big for us. And uh, when, when something arises with one of our players and nine times out of 10, we can trace it back. Well, did you communicate? Did you communicate that with somebody? No coach. I didn't. So you just committed an honor code violation. All right. And so the, the, the result was you missed practice or you were late to practice or you got an F on an exam or whatever, but ultimately it boils back to you didn't communicate. Uh, so that's first and foremost there, the one that we uh, probably, if there is one that's a little more concrete, uh, it would be number two. And that is we are on time. Uh, if you're 10 minutes early, you're five minutes late. Uh, I am a stickler for being on time. I can't stand being late. It's probably my biggest pet peeve. Uh, um, I would err on the side of being somewhere an hour early before I would ever be two minutes late. Yeah. Uh, it drives my wife crazy sometimes because, uh, you know, I'm like, my daughter plays college basketball and I want to get there an hour and 10, 15, 20 minutes before they play. She's like, why do we need to get, we're the only people <laughs> sitting in the arena. I'm early. That's just the way I am. And so uh, I, I don't deal real well. Probably the times I lose my mind the most is when our kids are not on time and where they're supposed to be before they're supposed to be there. Uh, so that's that's pillar number two. There's a, uh, there's number... a huge respect factor, though, with that, mm -hmm. with, oh, with, huge. The, with the being on time. And that was one of like a, the gold standard book about about mm -hmm. uh, when Coach K took over uh, the Olympic team. And one of the things that, you know, him and, and all the pros that he had put together this list of standards that they were going to live by. Mm -hmm. And one of the big ones was we we're going to be on time. And I think not only is it a respect factor for others to show them that you respect their time it also enables your players to be at their very very best because we know that anytime we're late the feeling of anxiety uh mm -hmm. unpreparedness that you have yes. you know so i i love that standard because it's, it's not just showing respect and uh, but it's also allowing them to be their very best and and this group which may be a result of one of the reasons why we won 25 games and had the season we had most of the time, I'm the guy that gets to the gym an hour at least if I haven't gotten stuff from school that I have to be here the whole time. If I leave, go get something to eat, come back. I want to be at the gym 45 minutes to an hour before I expect the kids to be there. And and sometimes I would be getting here and over half my team is already here. Nice. Uh, sitting in the locker room ready to go dressed. Some of them might go up and shoot if there was a goal open, if they had that opportunity to do that. Uh, but I, I, I love that about it. Um, and then we have number three, which is probably – the one that gets violated the most and probably we wouldn't most of the times uh, we wouldn't call an honor code committee meeting over this <laughs> one, but it is a standard that we live by is don't make excuses. Uh, if there's a situation that comes up and you screwed up own it, uh, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, don't ever, which goes to the last one of these is don't ever lie. Uh, never tell us a lie. Uh, no excuses and don't lie. Those are too big. And when you're dealing with teenagers, those things can, you know, the, the, the line of what's a lie and what's an excuse can get blurred real quick and real easy. Yeah. Uh, sometimes teenagers can lie so easily and so much that they almost start believing the lie to be the truth. Uh, and, you know, and, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be five minutes late for a team meeting because the red light out here is awful. And I'll be the first to admit it's awful. Uh, but, you know, but, <laughs> Don't because you left house 10 minutes after you were supposed to say, oh, the red light got me. Yeah. That's an excuse. Leave 10 minutes earlier and the red light's not an excuse. All right. And uh, 
but, you know, we get that one a lot from our players. Uh, and then the last one of ours, which, again, it is hard to uh, pinpoint sometimes, uh, but it's real easy to come back when there's an example of it. it's not working. Uh, it's got to be a good teammate. Got to be a good teammate at all times. You got to be a good teammate, and when and when they're being a good teammate, sometimes you don't always see that. I pick up a stool for my teammate when he leaves and he forgot to put his stool up. Things of that nature. Uh, we don't always recognize that one, but it's real easy to point out when somebody's being a bad teammate, yeah, uh, not doing what they're supposed to do. So those are the standards uh, that we live by and we preach to our kids on a, on the daily. Really, I think a good difference between standards and rules are our standards are typically the positives that you want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, don't lie. There is a negative there. It could mm-hmm. easily be, right? We're going to tell the truth. We're yeah. going to tell the truth with everything that we do, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and even with that one, be a good teammate. You know, the opposite is, hey, don't be a bad teammate. <laughs> or, don't be a jerk. Yeah. Don't be, don't be an idiot. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but when you have this list of rules, those rules, those rules, once they're broken, there has to be consequences. And most, yes. most of the time, those consequences need to be laid out ahead of time and then you are uh unless you want to just completely lose any type of respect you have of your players you are held or to those to those consequences the great thing about having standards is you can take every situation uh you can take them each individually and yes. and not With the ha- circumstances that surround them. right uh you know kid was late for practice well, why was he late for practice well he came home and his I'm God, this is awful, but something happened health-wise for mom or dad, and he had to rush one of them to the emergency room. Yeah. And he got him back home in time just to get to practice 30 minutes late, and the kid busted his tail to get – he couldn't communicate because he's sitting in the emergency room with his parents. You know, so, yes, if I had rules, you'd punish that kid because he missed the practice. That's right. Well, you're not going to start next week. Well, you're going to be suspended for a game. Well, why did he miss? What was the reason behind yeah. it? And that's what we try to – we always try to take every situation in hand uh, with the circumstances that created it, and then come up with a punishment that fits. My favorite consequence is towel pushes. Mm-hmm. You put a towel on the ground, you push it because I, I don't like I don't like consequences where it takes my time, or I have to yeah. give an assistant coach or a manager the time to count or anything. If I say you have a down and back, they go fast. It hurts. If they go slow, it hurts more. And yeah. so, uh, towel push to me is my favorite. Again, with the beauty of a standard is and nothing set in stone with that mm-hmm. is consequences can escalate. You know, you're first, mm-hmm. This is your first time you're rarely late, quick down and back, you and I are good. It also takes the emotion out of it. This is your fourth or fifth time. Listen, you got 10 towel pushes. At mm-hmm. some point, you're going to learn this lesson. You know, yeah. but uh, you know, I, that that's just a personal thing. I, my favorite consequence, but then I think the brilliance in just having these standards rather than rules mm-hmm. set in place. I, I would say about towel pushes too, I – I hadn't really ever seen that per se as a quick consequence for something, but I went to a practice here at our uh, local Division One college in town, uh, UNC Asheville, uh, and Mike Morrell, Shaka Smart's former former assistant, is now the head coach there. Uh, and Coach Morrell and I have gotten to be really good friends since he, he came into town and took over the program. And uh, I went to watch a handful of practices at the beginning of the season this past year. And you know, he didn't give me the practice schedule ahead of time. He wasn't really giving me any detail. My assumption was, after what I saw, that their 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 thing they were trying to identify was lack of boxing out. Mm-hmm. So it was like about every two or three minutes, <laughs> you just see a random kid go ah, oh! 
and he would grab a towel and he would push that towel linked to the floor in in Kimmel Arena there. And and it, I started picking up on the pattern. It's pretty much every time he missed a box out and one of the coaches noticed it. Well, the, the practice still kept going. Yeah. The drill work kept going. You seeing this kid over there doing a down and back with a towel push. And it was like, you can't cheat it. Like you no. can't cheat it. I um, mean, and it hurts again, if they can go as slow as they want or as fast as they want, it, it's, it's, it's powerful to me. Absolutely. Uh, one, one thing I, I hear a lot about is, is you can't build confidence in players or you can't create confidence in players. And I think that's a important distinction. Like we can't necessarily confidence comes from their preparation and then what they think about all day. And so once they've done those things, we can help build their confidence or add to it. So what are some ways that you build confidence in your players? Um, well, you know, to, to the point you just made there, yes, there's certain kids are born more confident than others. Uh, and, and sometimes when you have those kids that aren't as confident or they're quick to turn on themselves when things go bad, you've got to figure out different ways to motivate them, get them confidence. So you can build confidence to a certain degree. Uh, some kids have it and ain't a thing you can do to stop it and it don't matter. And they've got it oozing out of them to the point of agnosium at sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, but really I think, uh, for us, I think the big key is, uh, we try to develop the kid the the personal set of the kid then we try to develop the skill set of the kid uh and then along the way we put them in situations that benefits them that that highlights their abilities that we don't put them in situations where uh they aren't good at it uh that's not what they're going to be doing um and 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 we put i feel like our system it would be a very fun system to play and we're up down the floor uh we're not afraid to shoot threes we shoot a lot of threes uh uh so we play very fast. We scored 100 points a couple of times this game. I think we averaged 83 points a game this season. Uh, that's 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 pretty high average yeah, for high school. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the, the opportunities are there, uh, you know, and, and like I said, we try to put as many kids as we can in, in positive situations where they can be the best player they can be. Uh, and then from a mental standpoint, I try to be very simple with the tasks that I ask them. Uh, and, and, and those are varied depending on the player and who it is. Uh, you know, if I've got a, a role player who's maybe 10th, 12th on the bench, I'm not going to ever go out there and ask him, hey, man, I need, I need 15 points out of you tonight. You know, that's just stupid. That's not going to happen. Uh, but what I can do is say, look, hey, go out there and get me a rebound or two. I, that's all I need you to do. And if he can come out of that game and never score a point, but he's giving me a rebound or two, and I can celebrate that when he does come out, uh, that kid's – you can see that kid's confidence skyrocket. Um, and then a lot so. of times uh, is praising some of that in practice. Yeah. Uh, when you see the behavior that you want, uh, if you praise it and make a big deal out of it, uh, as simple as some things may be, you'll you'll see that kid's confidence skyrocket. But what, one thing I heard you say is you you have to protect – sometimes you have to protect their confidence too. Mm -hmm. Like yes, the ones absolutely. that are ultra-confident – and, and typically they're there because of one, either how they were raised, um, uh, experiences of success they've already had early on in their life. Maybe they've put in a ton of time and so they've mm -hmm. earned the right to already be confident. But there are those players, like you said, that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. How many times in practice do we hurt their confidence more by not protecting it? By putting oh, them in situations, God. by putting them in situations where they're probably not I, – I don't like the the end of 
personally, I don't like the end of practice drill where line up, everybody shoot free throws, you make it, you don't run, you miss it, you run. ADHD, I despise that drill. Yeah, because you you, you got Johnny, little Timmy up there that is a 10% free throw shooter. He knows it. His team knows it. They're all ready to run. Now, you could argue, well, he that needs to inspire him to get better and to get in the gym more. Okay, like keep keep trying that logic. Mm-hmm. I think I think we put them in positions either in mm-hmm. games or in practice that we can help build on what they do well. I, I think one aspect, especially for older coaches, it may not be as much with newer coaches, but I guarantee you most coaches are guilty of this. You you want some continuity, which I understand, and you want to build, uh, you know that that camaraderie with your five best players. So you put your five best players in practice, and then you're constantly almost berating, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Give us a good look. Come on, yeah. Why can't you? And you're like, there. You set them up for failure, so they have no confidence. So we we try to. I never put hardly ever put the best five together. I might do it in a walkthrough situation where we're we're at the beginning of practice with, hey, look, this is a set they ran last time. Let's talk about how we want to adjust their ball screen coverage here, whatever. And we'll walk through it and yeah. then we'll like literally start practice uh, yeah. or, or something along that lines. If we're teaching a new set play, if we're going through our set plays, we're divided up in the, and there might be the best player in our league averaging 20 a game on, on, on his same team in that same action is a kid who ain't never going to step foot on hardwood and he'd be lucky to average one point. Uh, but we do it enough and fast enough to where the kids all – but then the kids feel confident and they get confident from that. Yeah. And I think one of the other keys to it is, too, is when uh, you you got that kid who uh, is pretty confident, but he can also – I was this way – turn on himself pretty quick, too, with the, with the uh, with a mistake or a turnover, is recognizing that uh, and not just uh, – each kid's different. Some kids need the kick in the butt and get into them. Uh, other kids need you to come up and put your arm around them and go, you're okay. Yeah. Keep shooting. You're fine. It's fine. And I think I find myself more nowadays using that approach. Uh, the kids probably think I'm yelling at them all the time, but I think if they really thought about it and made a tick mark chart of every time I was, you know, that I talked to them, they would find that way more times I've got my arm around and going, you're fine. Relax. Relax. You're okay. Quit worrying about it. You're a good shooter. Shoot. I'm not, I don't care that you missed it. Shoot, you know, uh, things of that nature. So, uh, it's just a, it's a matter of putting the kids in situations where they feel they can be vulnerable and it's okay. Yeah. I think you're in, you're in a good position where kids are willing to make mistakes and push themselves in practice without mm-hmm. fear. I'm not talking about, we always say mistakes from effort. I'm not saying mistakes because you're not focused. That's an yes. issue. But mistakes when you're trying to do what you're being asked, you're pushing yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone. That's a really good place to be. One thing you said that I, I love getting to do is because sometimes I, I pick up little things that mm. and realize things about myself that I haven't before. And you mentioned that you don't have your your starting five together all the time in practice. Mm. Somehow along the way, I've gotten into that habit of maybe because I want them to build some chemistry and continuity together mm. in practice so that when they play in games, you know, they they know where each other's at and stuff. But I do agree. There is something to maybe we all get better one through 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're splitting them, you challenge those better players mm-hmm. a little bit to help elevate, you know, the, the rest of your team. That's a good point. I, uh, I know in college, you know, that second five, 
potentially maybe even your third five. Most of those, most colleges probably have 15 players. Uh, you know, they're pretty good. Yeah. So if you went first team against second team, you could probably get a pretty good look. But in most times at the high school level, if you went your best five and put your second best five against them, you're probably not going to get a good a look as what you're going to see from your other team. All right. And number two, I think you get to a certain point in time where kids are kids. They yeah. are, and they're really fragile in certain aspects. But they're like, every day we come to practice, you put the best five over there. They kick our butt. This drills, <laughs> we're going to 10 and it's nine to one, you know, 10 to one. And we're getting slaughtered. There's there's no fun in this for me. It's never competitive. So innately, they're going to shut it down. They're not yeah. going to go as hard. Yeah. Uh, so if, if by dividing up the teams, make them as equal as you can possibly make them. Different this year. And, and, and so this doesn't have to be an every year the same way thing. I have always in the past, every single day, they had different teams. And it was posted in a locker room. They saw it. This past year, I put them in what was pretty equal teams. And they got really competitive with each other I'm a, a, in a fun way. They're yeah. talking junk to each other going up there. We, we got blue is our primary color. The flip side of our jersey was gray. So it was like they'd go up the stairs, man, Gray's kicking that ass today. Y'all don't <laughs> want none of us, you know, that kind of stuff. And you're, and you're like, this is awesome. And then they'd get in drills and, you know, like blue would win three in a row. And uh, you could see kind of gray over going, man, this ain't right. And they're going, yeah, gray, where y'all at now? You ain't talking nothing now. And it was, and it's really brought a competitive nature out in our practice. So we left it blue and gray the whole season, the same group. Uh, and they got really competitive with it. They would talk about it, but all during the school day. Coach, when we get to, you know, whatever shell drill version we're doing today, I'm telling you, put blue on defense first because we're wearing them out. Nice. And it was awesome, you know. So, yeah. Uh, and, and I did, I tried and I, I just get so caught up and, and I want to do the competitive cauldron stuff where you assign point values and do, you know, do all the winning stuff. But sometimes I get lost in the shelf and, Oh crap. I haven't given them point values for the last five drills. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but the, the competitive nature is what you're trying to bring out. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you put your best five out there and, and you're asking a group of kids who are lucky to be on the team to go out there and compete with a group, you're just asking for a, a, a bad problem. That's a good point. So 25 wins this year. How many losses? Five. Five. So you didn't have to go through defeat uh, this year nearly as much as a Ooh, lot of teams did. But we did. have. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we you have, have in the past. I'm always mm -hmm. interested in hearing from different coaches what their approach is to, you know, this could be you've just lost the game. You're going to go into your locker room or or it's the next day of practice. How do you handle defeat with your team? Um, I think the biggest thing is keeping it in proper perspective as to what it is. It's one game in a step, in a journey, in a process. We get so worked up sometimes uh, about that, like that game on a Friday. Well, it's game eight. You know, we still got 15 games to play, uh, you know, in the regular season, let alone how many we might get in the postseason. So let's not lose our mind over that. Let's learn our lessons and make sure we don't feel like this again. Uh, but we got we got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. I I know this almost sounds somewhat like a cliche, uh, but we've lost. We we've you know I think our program's a pretty solid program, but we've lost our fair share of ball games. This group that just won twenty five games, I made a very difficult decision two years ago uh, that the current group of seniors. I brought six sophomores up. That was them. I brought four freshmen up. So of our top twelve, that your top thirteen. I had 10 freshmen or sophomores playing. And it's a young group. Yeah. And we lost. 
Uh, I thought we, I thought I was coach of the year. <laughs> we won eight games, uh, you know, and, and I thought we did pretty good considering the, the, the youth that we had out there play. And, and we just had to constantly be reminding them that it's a part of the process that we will get better. We will learn from it. And here's where I say, this is a difficult thing for a lot of coaches. Even sometimes when I know it's not my fault, I, I think a lot of times with, especially in high school, you have to take responsibility guys. That one's on me, you know, and, we want to come in there and slam the door in the locker room and kick lockers and start raising hell and saying it's all their fault. Your effort was awful. Not their effort's awful. Their effort's awful. Uh, but, you know, in the end game, I didn't prepare you. My job as the leader is to prepare you. Your focus was horrible tonight. Your effort was god-awful. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to get into the X's and O's and the fact that you didn't rotate. But ultimately, guys, that's on me. I, I didn't do my job as a leader to help prepare you to win this basketball game officially. Mark my word, that will not happen again. You will be prepared for the next game. So it takes some of the onus off of them uh, to uh, the, the sting of the loss. Um, but um, that's tough. I mean, yeah. I, I know we've all been there, and you come in there and you're going, I, my best player who averages 20 scored 12 tonight and had nine turnovers. He was awful. And you know, and you're like, what did you do? Did you go spend a day with your girlfriend and not think about, you know? But it's no, it's yeah. not like anything like that. You you're gonna have to take as a leader, and and one of the things I think you were gonna ask me is some leaders that I respect or looked up. But I, you know, extreme ownership from Jocko Willink is an unbelievable book, an unbelievable thing about leaders taking on that responsibility. And while ultimately you are responsible as a leader. Yes, somebody else may have made a mistake along the way, but ultimately you're responsible as the leader for making sure that uh, things are happening the way they did. So to come in and, and scream at the kids after a loss, uh, I understand it. We're all guilty of it. We all do it. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't do it. Uh, but I think ultimately you got to put some of the blame, most of the blame on yourself. Two things. What was the book called? Extreme Ownership. Okay. Jocko will link. Extreme okay. Ownership. Got to check that uh, out. And Jocko has a podcast and some things, and uh, he he does some really good stuff there too. But uh, the Extreme Ownership book, I'm, I, I I derive a lot of things from our military. Love it. I've never served, but I have such tremendous respect for those that did and do, um, and and to put themselves in harm's way. Uh, but uh, you learn a lot from those are the best leaders in the world, and they have to be. Yeah, because uh, yeah. people's lives are at stake. Yeah, it's so not just learn, a sport there. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. People's lives are at stake. So if they don't lead the correct way, if they don't lead well, people die. People don't just lose ball games; they die. And and I've always expect, uh, re respected that and learned from it and try to read as much as I can. And I'd heard a lot about Jocko's book, uh, and I got it in the whole first chapter. I mean, I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat reading a book, and I'm not a reader. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I am not a reader. Uh, but it sets the stage up for the leadership lesson of ultimately the leader's got to take responsibility for it, even though it might be somebody else's fault. Uh, and I, if you haven't read that book, I would highly recommend it. And it will, if you take it to heart, it will reshape a lot of things about the way you think about leadership. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I thank you for sharing that. You know, when I think back to post-game talks where I was very animated, angry, <laughs> and, and hostile, rarely uh, do I do I feel good about that? Like where you I got something I, off your chest, all right, but you yeah, may create more damage. Yeah, but years later, years later, when I think back, you know, it's more more shame than and regret than anything else. Tyler Costin uh, had a great he he's he a, a great job too. Love yeah, Tyler. He, his idea is 
completely eliminate post-game talks. Bring them together. Tell them that you love them, that you love watching them play, yep. and let them go eat pizza, see their mm-hmm. friends and family, get home, especially like we, sometimes we forget. Like it's 9 o'clock. They probably still have a little bit of homework. It's a Tuesday night. We got school in the morning. These Absolutely. aren't college kids. Mm-hmm. And and but then Coach Drew said made a good point that what we think we saw in the game is rarely accurate. Like the fact that we're or we're thinking that we can from memory replay and we really have a good look at what happened in that game. Go home, watch the film. I don't know how many times. I've been so fired up and I thought, man, we just stunk it up tonight. And mm-hmm. then I watched film and I think, you know, stat it that night. And I think, you know what, we're, we're a lot closer than I thought we were. And my next day, my next talk with them is more of a positive note, which I think, what do they really need? Do they need a nut? They already think they stink. They exactly. lost. Do they really yeah. need me hammering them again? I just think those are reminders for us that we need. We, we put the 24 hour rule into place. Uh, and for our parents, like, you know, don't call me 24, you know, it's <laughs> a 24 yeah. hour rule. But I think that, again, talking about the two way street that we mentioned earlier, <clears throat> that 24 hour rule was for us too as yeah. coaches. And, and I probably still do too much, but I tell our kids, as soon as that game's over with, we're going through the handshake line, way by to your mama, sprint to the locker room. Uh, I'm on 24 hour rule. I'm going to try to give you some logistical stuff. What time's practice starts tomorrow? You know, what uniform we're wearing, if there's another game, whatever. Uh, and then I'm going to send you home. And, and I still say, I probably take two minutes yeah. to say, didn't play well tonight, guys. We're going to figure it out. We'll be okay. And I still don't even know if I'm, if I stop not saying too much. Uh, my daughter plays a uh, division one basketball and I'll be honest with you. I'm a coach. I've been coaching for 30 years and this was happening sometimes. And I was going, really? The game's over win or lose. They go in the locker room. They're coming out immediately. And I'll go, well, what did, Coach say, didn't see coach, never even saw him. And, uh, and like, really? Yeah, the the manager came in and, and took our uniform, did it or whatever. I did to do ice therapy or whatever. And some of the coaches were in there saying, make sure y'all work out some more. But we'll have a team Zoom or a team meeting or a team something tomorrow, and we'll go over. So, so y'all don't really – no, we don't we don't talk after the games in yeah. that regard. I think that's a good place to get to. And I, yeah. I, where we want them to compete their tails off and be in the moment. And then when it's done, it's done and give everybody time to uh, decompress, you know, and yeah. it takes some time. Like, I just think, I think that's wise. So you, you just mentioned you've been coaching for, for 30 years, which is. You believe that? Yeah, yeah it's incredible. And I, I, I'm always honored to get to Look, talk you to you. see all this, right? It's, it's, it's <laughs> so mine's working its way up. Is exactly. What you're saying. Um what would you do? This is one of my favorite questions to ask any coach, but especially when they have the level of experience that you do. Uh, mm-hmm. What was one thing you'd do differently if you could start over today? Be myself. I was uh, very fortunate in my life. I, I was given an opportunity that, quite honestly, in today's society, today's world, with the way uh, background checks and this, that, and the other, I would never legally be able to do. I was 18 years old, uh, was a senior in high school, just finished my playing career. It's about this time. We were getting ready to go to spring break. My high school coach was my next-door neighbor. He was my basically my father figure. My father was not in my life, not in my picture. So my basketball coach was my father figure. And um, 
uh, we're walking out to the parking lot one day after school, and he says, what are you doing this summer? And I said, I don't know, laying around. I don't know. And he goes, seriously, what are you doing this summer? And I said, I truly don't have any plans. I'm not doing anything. Why? And he says, well, can you coach our JVs at team camp? And I said, are you kidding me? Oh, done. <laughs> and I, that was like literally leading, uh, you know, I don't even want to say something bad, but it, it, I'm telling you, you turned an addict loose. <laughs> That's all you did. Uh, and I loved it. And I've been hooked ever since and I've been coaching ever since. And then I, I worked for him for seven years uh, as his assistant, JV coach, and then varsity assistant for a few years. He retired. They decided to give the head job to someone else, which I get, you know, I didn't like it at the time. Thank God that happened now. Hmm. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to then go work for, at the time, arguably the best basketball program in all of the state of North Carolina. Uh, it was a rival program to ours, and it was right down the road. And they were philosophically opposite of us. They were zone press, fall back into a matchup zone, uh, you know, intricate, detailed sets on the offensive end. We were at where the school I was at, which is the school I'm back at now, Full court, man-to-man, run and jump trap, 100 mile an hour on the offensive end, no sets, no real, you know, continuity. We're just going to go. Yeah. Uh, and that coach was considered probably one of the icons of our state. And I got to spend four years under his tutelage and, and learning a different, completely different style of basketball than I had known. So I got both ends of the spectrum. Well, then I get the call to be the head coach. And uh, I come back in, and I tried to be both of them. I tried to act just like both of them. And I tried to, uh, what would he do in this situation? And those influences are always going to be there. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, if you – I would imagine you're probably a lot – you could look at your things, your mannerisms, and things you say, and they're a lot very similar to Coach Drew. I, am I right? Now, yes. Now, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I spent the first three years being a head coach – trying to walk like them, talk like them. Yeah. My practice schedules mirrored their practice schedules. And I quickly realized while their influence on me is tremendous and I am going to always be somewhat them, I still got to be me, uh, you know, and, and I, once I got comfortable in my own skin of being me, uh, it was a whole lot better. Uh, and, and I was more comfortable with what we're, I could accept losses and things. I was like, well, Coach Sizemore wouldn't have lost that game, but I did. And why? I'm like, Coach Sizemore may have lost the game just as much as I did. Yeah. You know, uh, you know that kind of stuff. So, uh, to, I think to any important. to any young coach listening, like I think I think it's important. Uh, Rick Torbett said it takes ten years to figure out who you are as a coach <laughs> to find um, out, and and it's kind of funny just doing your math right there. Mm-hmm. Like you're right about it. That ten years. I mean, I'm I'm year fifteen overall nine as a head coach uh as a varsity assistant like you're right on the money i was trying to be dave bliss early mm-hmm. on which yep. you know you gotta uh apologize to some players for some of those <laughs> things and and then and then later on uh and, and with some life change was a lot more like coach drew and spoke mm-hmm. like him and but i you know, you want to go back and you want to apologize to some of those players and teams that you had where as you were finding your way, I mean, we had some talent here at Faith early on, but we lost because of me. You know, the, the I was trying to either fit a system into yes. uh, with, you know, fit players into a system rather than 
adjusting to who we have in personnel or trying to be and emulate somebody so much. But then there's also, that's my, my main point was to those coaches that are sitting here like, okay, well, if it takes 10 years, what do I do? Nothing. Fail. Grow. Experiment. Get better. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when you mess up, let it go. Try to care about them more than, than you, than you do even now. And, but I, just to help encourage them because yeah, to let your hair down and be you, if, you know, here's, here's a great example. Uh, Coach Sizemore, the gentleman I worked for at the rival school that I went to work for, was uh, uh, had a personality coming out of his ears. He, he was unbelievable. But he wasn't a boisterous hyper. He was very, very much more stoic and calm. While there was this internal passion, you could clearly see it. He wasn't boisterous and open and, and hyper. So, you know, those first couple of years, I'm trying to be Coach Sizemore. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm, as you can probably tell from watching, I'm hyper, I'm ADHD. I've got, you know, I'm wiping spit off sometimes and I'm just, and I tried to be too much him, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I, I just, once I learned how to be me and then use the things that coach Sizemore was really good at, uh, in game adjustments and, uh, keeping the focus on the big things and, uh, you know, not being afraid to change course. If it was if it suited your personnel, uh, Coach Crook, who I was played for, was my father figure. Learned, oh my God, I, greatest teacher of man defense I've ever been around in my life. But if you said zone around him, he's punching you because that's communism. <laughs> you don't you don't play zone. So you know, and he wasn't going to change ever. It wasn't. We're playing man. By God, I don't care. And you know that that's why I say I, I you have to learn to be you. Uh, and I spent the first couple of years as a head coach going, man, is Coach Crook going to be mad at me? Is he going to, like, disown me because I'm playing a little bit of zone? Uh, and then I kind of got to the point where I was like, I got to be me. And I got to – I've been brought up in two systems now, and I'm I'm trying to blend the perfect worlds uh, and do what's best for our program and our kids. And we're just not good enough to play man defense on some of these teams. We're just not. Yeah. And, uh, and then, I think you nailed it right there, though, is that ultimately – our job besides I mean, mentoring and developing young men into and who they're going to become or helping them get there, that's ultimately what we're doing. But within that, we're also trying to create a team and give them a way of playing that will help them win. And sometimes that you can't try to fit that into what expectations from, a, from another coach or another program or just because something works. I think comparison is the thief of all joy and we yeah. tell we tell players quite a bit don't compare yourself to others but how guilty are we as coaches of comparing ourselves to people we've worked for before that had a lot of success or did things a certain way we look at rival programs and and we think golly what are they doing and why am i falling short i just yes. think we have to be careful as coaches with comparison i'm gonna i'm gonna say something that's actually kind of embarrassing i don't think i've ever really spoken of this to anyone not even my assistants but there have been times earlier in my career i don't do it now i still use this but i have every single practice schedule from both of those two coaches their entire coaching career both of them when they retired gave me their filing cabinets every piece of information you could possibly speak of i've got it all that being said there have been times and, and we're not being successful we're not winning and I, and I would think about which system we were probably more involved in that year. And I would think of that coach and I would go, well, what, what, you know, we're at 
December the 15th, and and where would Coach Crook be at this time? And I would go look at three or four years worth of practice schedules and kind of see where he was at December 15th, and I would see some of the stuff he was doing, and I'd go, we're doing that. And I would literally carbon copy and do that practice schedule from December the 15th, 1993, uh, as opposed to looking at what we're doing in December the 15th, 2017, yeah. uh, you know, or – Early on in my career, it probably been more like 2008, but still, uh, you know, I, it's just I had to take those concepts and learn. Now, in those young coaches that might be listening, it means a hell of a lot when one of the two of them reach out to me and say, hey, caught your game last night, can't, or I'm coming to the game tomorrow night, really like the way your kids are playing, or mm, you know, a little tough last night on this, you probably need to start. And I love those conversations. Those are phenomenal conversations. Uh, but I don't allow those conversations to to change who I am, and that's yeah. what I was doing early on in my career. Yeah, I know so many so many coaches, especially in your area, uh, follow you and are fans of you. <laughs> they think they know you, but <laughs> after after the speed round, coach, they're really going to know who you Uh-oh, are. You I love this. All right, favorite ice cream flavor? Oreos, Oreo for, cookies and cream. However you want to say that. Nice one. Uh, for high school shot clock or no shot clock. Can I get on a soapbox or you got me a quick speed round here? Sh- uh, shot clock. And I get sick of all the reasons why people tell me I can't have one. Yeah, and not. I want to start hearing all the reasons why we can have That's one. That's right. That's right. Focus uh, on the positives, guys. Absolutely. Texting or talking? Uh, in this generation, you better learn to do both, but I prefer to talk. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, kids don't like to talk. So you sometimes you can get you can get to the ultimate end of what you wanted quicker with a text. Yeah, meet them where they're at, and they Absolutely. they text a lot more. And I think the best response I heard to that is who. It depends on who it is. That um, is a, that's a great one. Absolutely. Uh, favorite holiday? It's not Christmas, uh, believe it or not. I don't know why it's not, but it's not. Uh, I would probably say uh, favorite holiday for me is probably Thanksgiving. Okay. The food? You like the food? Family get-together? I, I don't know. <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, but it's the start of basketball season. Yeah, uh, that's fair. It's, it's a relatively short one. You're not having to go out and buy, you know, six months' worth of gifts to prepare for it. That's true. Uh, you know, family does come in typically and uh, things of that nature. But, uh, you know, dang, uh, to me, college basketball, all the, you know, Maui Invitational starts and, you know, all these great preseason yeah. tournaments that I love. So. I, to me, I get jacked up around Thanksgiving because it is the start of what I love more than anything other than my wife and children. Those are those are all good points. If you could mm-hmm. travel back in time, what period would you go to? Uh, I've always thought about, you know, <laughs> William Wallace and Braveheart. Yes. I, don't know I, was, I don't know if I was tough enough to live in those days, buddy. I'm going to be real honest with you. I see. Coach Drew said, too, he would like to go back to see some of the battles and things. Mm-hmm. and then, But he... he they quickly said, well, I don't want to be in them. And <laughs> there you go. So I'll be the flag bearer that sits in the back right. and just plays the flag. Well, if you could somehow yeah. just be there, but in no way uh, participate, that'd be good. And, and truly, honestly, if I were saying that, honestly, with the time that I would love to go back and live, I would love to go back and live and uh, or be a part of it. You know, 1700s when our country was being formed and uh, the things that our country went through. I love those patriotic type movies. And uh, I've gotten really into uh, you know, the, the uh, I don't want to say conspiracy theory type movies, but uh, those type of things and how the government runs and all the secret stuff. And is there a presidential book of secrets? You know, oh, things, yeah, all those type of I things. I would really about. love to know all that kind of stuff. All right. Two more. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Zero. 
no energy drinks at all or, or, or i have a what i'm talking about advocare spark oh yeah oh, uh, and yeah. it is like my stuff. coffee uh i put a scoop in every morning and then that's what i've been drinking on i put it in my nice. 32 ounce tumbler and i go i drink on it all day and it is essentially my coffee yes yeah yeah that's good stuff last one probably the most important godfather or star wars star wars without question nice. star wars the, the force is strong with you absolutely uh yeah i was i, I think the one of the first movies I can ever remember going to see at the drive-in was the original Star Wars uh, and sticking the little radio in the window, sticking on the door and watching the original Star Wars and fell in love. Love that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, Coach, this is, uh, I mean, you and I, we, we've had a, a fun time earlier or previously of talking about mm -hmm. shooting. Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're just from even our time today, you're one of those coaches that I could just sit and listen to for a long time and I, so i want to appreciate you just being authentic and real and giving up your time today oh i dude you have no idea how honored i am to be on your podcast i think you do one of the best jobs have one of the best podcasts out there uh i'm preaching to the choir because wow. if people are listening to this they think the same thing uh so uh you know i know i don't the glare is terrible and that's why i said i didn't get to use my good camera but from your uh, Kelvin Sampson episode, most of the stuff you see written at the top came from nice. the Kelvin Sampson episode. How awesome uh, is he, man? Coach, oh, you, oh, unbelievable. Uh, coach with one eye open and one ear closed. That's right. And uh, the other one I love, and I got it highlighted and starred right there because I think it's something that we try to really live by is uh, we must be the gym rats. If we want yeah. our kids to be the gym rats, we got to be gym rats. And I've taken that to heart. And if I don't listen to your podcast, I never hear that. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I'm just thank you for what you do and the work you put in. Uh, you know, I've always been a Coach Drew fan on some level, but obviously the success he's had over the last couple of years, uh, you know, going to the winning the national title and doing the things. But then you're starting to see the bleed off, the assistant coaches yeah. that are going out and getting jobs and talking to folks like you. And you realize there's some substance behind it. It's not just uh, a, he got lucky and recruited in a good group of kids to come in and win. Uh, it, yeah. There's something to it. and. Uh, so I thank you uh, for all of that and exposing the world to some of the, the good parts of Baylor basketball and, and you and Coach Drew. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just absolutely honored. I can't believe you actually asked me to be on here. <laughs> but uh, it's phenomenal, <laughs> brother. Stuff. You do a great Thanks, job. Coach. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.